Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Thanks for joining me tonight. Hopefully it's been a great day where you've enjoyed God's provision, the sunrise, the sunset, and looking forward to the rest he's going to give you tonight as you've completed the tasks that he's given you this day to do. I know there are people that feel their days are worthless. They feel meaningless in this life. And I do pity them because they don't understand how the Heavenly Father works. He's present in the ordinary. He allows us to live in a way where our actions, our lives, our resources, they, they get to be invested in eternity, not just wasted here on earth. Hopefully you had a great day of enjoying God's provision. From time to time, I like to pull out a book by one of my favorite authors and just read some things and comment as I read along and see how far I get in the chapter. One of my favorite authors of all time is V. Raymond Edmond, a former president of Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. His books are very old and you probably can't buy them anywhere anymore, but when my father-in-law years ago told me I could go through his shelves and take whatever books I wanted. I saw these by V. Raymond Edmund and I took them and they've become a standard go-to book for me when I want to just think about something clearly. I'm sure they have some old books somewhere that you can get a hold of. And the book I want to refer to tonight is called The Delights of Life by V. Raymond Edmund. The Delights of Life. My favorite book that he's written is really called The Disciplines of Life, and he tends to be able to start each chapter with the letter D. He's creative that way. And at the same point, say something extremely profound about life that you and I need to understand. In this book, he talks about the delights of life. Chapter 12 starts it with a poem by John Oxenham. It says, for perfect childlike confidence in thee, for childlike glimpses of life to be, for trust akin to my child's trust in me, for hearts at rest through confidence in thee, for hearts triumphant in perpetual hope, for hope victorious through past hopes fulfilled, for mightier hope born of things we know, for faith born of things we may not know, for hope of powers increased ten thousandfold, for that last hope of likeness to thyself. When hope shall in end in glorious certainty, with quickened hearts that find thee everywhere, we thank thee, Lord. John Oxenham in Bees and Amber. Chapter 12 in V. Raymond's book on Delights of Life talks about dependability. He starts with a verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Would you consider yourself a peacemaker? Maybe not, maybe. Once again, there has to be a definition for us to understand what that actually means. Somebody who's in a coma certainly is at peace, probably, because they're not thinking about anything. 
I'm not sure that's what we're talking about. I find this word interesting because it comes from a couple Greek words, and it's the only time it's used this way, in the King James Version anyway, because that's what I have to look up as far as my concordance goes. And there's no fancy definition. It means peaceable or peacemaker. Blessed are the peaceable or the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When I think about peace, I think about peace in the world or to pray for the peace of Israel. That's important to be able to do, especially during these times. I love peace with my family. I don't want to be arguing with them or disagreeing with them. I love to be at peace with them. Being at peace with God is the most important. And that comes by accepting the gift of Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And as I do that, I'm at peace with God. I can enjoy who He is, knowing that I will never, ever be destroyed because of the sin in my life. My sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. I may still do stupid things that will harm me in this life, but my Heavenly Father has forgiven me through the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross, and I can enjoy the fact that I've been forgiven. I enjoy the fact that I'm at peace with God. I enjoy when I'm at peace with my family. I enjoy when I'm at peace with those I work with. I can see what's being said here. Blessed are the peacemakers those who desire to be at peace and live at peace. If I desire to live in a peaceful relationship with people, I don't constantly try and antagonize them. I don't look for ways to disagree. I don't look for ways to argue about things. I don't look for ways to keep pointing to myself in life as far as how the standards should be. I want peace. I want to enjoy them, and I want to enjoy them the way God made them, and I want to enjoy God. I want to enjoy the life that he gave to me on earth. I think that's what he's talking about when he talks about the peacemakers. The most important aspect of being a peacemaker is admitting that there's a way that we're made and designed and created, and that we live in the context of that. Whatever way it is, designed, created, whatever it might be, that we live in that way. And we live at peace. Because we know we're living in the context of what God intended us to live at. B. Raymond Edmund, this chapter says, Ever meet a really happy troublemaker? Or was he gloomy and grouchy, allergic to himself and everyone else? <laughs> Very interesting observation. I don't think I ever did meet a happy troublemaker. They seem to always be causing trouble, which always seems to fall back on their own head. Edmund goes on to say, There is no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked, often declared the evangelical prophet in Isaiah 48:22 and 57:21. And he added, The wicked are like troubled sea, when they cannot rest, whose water cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace with God as long as we are rebellious and impotent. And without his peace, we cannot be at peace among ourselves. But when, like the inhabitants of Mansoul and Bunyan's holy war, we send Mr. Desire Awakes and Mr. Wet Eyes with ropes of penitence around their neck to Prince Emmanuel, 
then we do also find a pardon for our sins and peace with God. I love his observation of Bunyan's book, The Holy War, which I would highly recommend you read at some point. In the modern version, I would suggest. But Edmund says there's no peace with God as long as we're rebellious. And that's so true. We don't need to rebel against God. There's no way to find peace when we're rebelling. In our time in the United States of America right now, there's so much anxiety. There's so much depression. There's so much anger. There's so much mental disease in some respects. Could it be that much of this is caused because we're trying to live outside the way we're created to live? Could it be that we're trying to find satisfaction apart from God and there is no satisfaction apart from God? Could it be that we're trying to live a life ignoring the only one in the universe that we can't afford to ignore? I think so. If an individual is not at peace with God, then they cannot be at peace in the true sense. Now, they could be at peace perhaps in an artificial sense. Life can be numbed by various activities. Some numb their life with alcohol. Some numb their life with work. Some numb their life with money and achievement that way. Some numb their life with drugs, sex, power. I'm not sure that any of those that I mentioned would ever be at peace because they can't ever find true peace when you numb your life with those things. I've had several surgeries in my life, and I'm not sure what they put in my veins to have me go to sleep, but it's pretty good stuff. It puts me out in a way where I really sleep well, and I don't really sleep well normally. But when they put that in my system, I sleep extremely well. However, that doesn't mean that I'm at peace, except for maybe during those few moments where I'm really out. We can't depend on our manipulation of the world and its circumstances to get peace. We need to be dependent upon God and our relationship with Him. Because there is no peace, no peace with God as long as we're rebellious. And if we have no peace with God, we have no peace in general. Edmund goes on to say, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee, said in Job 22.21. Was the advice given to Job and all the succeeding generations. This major advice to know him, the Lord Jesus, who made peace by his blood on the cross, and has become our peace. For he came and preached, and he preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them who were nigh, Ephesians two thirteen to 17 where it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God 
in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The peace that passes understanding, the peace that we each desire more than any other peace in the world, comes from God. And if tonight you're running from God, you don't know him or you're not in his family, the only way to experience true peace in this world is to come to God on his terms. To understand that he loves you, that he created you, that he's got a plan for you. To recognize the fact, as it says in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of his glory. They fall short of being who they were designed to be. And when you're living outside the context of what you were designed to live in, you'll be miserable. Therefore, we have many miserable people in the world, and this misery demonstrates itself in so many different areas in so many different ways. You could look at the world, the godless world out there. Some of you might be saying, well, it's people who are religious that are causing all the trouble. You've got the, the Jewish people, and you've got the Muslim people, and you've got all these people. Well, if they're out there just causing evil, that's not what God does. Perhaps they're not serving God with a capital G. Perhaps they're serving themselves. When we see the God of scriptures, we understand that he is the creator and sustainer of life. He is the only one that can give us purpose in this life. He is the one that we come to. Accept his love as demonstrated on the cross by Jesus Christ. Allow Jesus to be our Savior and become a member of God's family and live in the context now of the peace that was created because of Jesus. Edmund says that our Lord himself made a promise of such peace before his death and resurrection, saying, These things I have spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's John 16:33. Therefore, declares Paul, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5:1. Because the chastisement of his peace was upon him, Isaiah 53:5. Thus forgiven and justified, we become truly the children of God. For it is written plainly, Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 And furthermore, because you are sons of God, hath set forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 4.6 In that passage, there was a lot of different scripture that I just read. Let me read it again so that we can understand what God is saying about peace. Our Lord himself made promises of such peace before his death and resurrection, saying, Now that was B. Raymond Edmund, not God. Here's the verses. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16:33. Therefore, declares Paul, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 1. 
Because the chastisement of our peace was upon him, Isaiah 53, 5. Thus forgiven and justified, we become truly the children of God, for it is written plainly, Ye are all God's children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3, 26. And furthermore, because ye are sons of God, hath set you forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. Edmund goes on to say, Often do the scriptures make mention of this glorious reality of sonship with God because of the newness of life through the indwelling spirit. Triumphantly did Paul declare, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Romans eight fourteen to 17. And in Romans 8, 6, it says, To be spiritually minded, to have the mind of the Spirit, is life and peace. When we think about God and his role in the universe and know that he is our loving father, that we are his children, the natural byproduct of that is peace. There is nothing that can touch you or me that won't go through him. Not only does God love us and have a plan for us, he's totally capable of defending us. There has to be a time in this world where we leave this world and join him. My mom and dad, my in-laws have already done that. They've left this world and joined their heavenly father. I have not. I'm still talking with you on this earth. But there will come a time where that happens. I don't know how that's going to happen. It could happen through an illness. It could happen through just dying of old age, I guess. It could happen through a car accident. It could happen parachuting from an airplane, which I doubt because I have no plans for that, but it could. All I know is that I have peace with my Heavenly Father, and He is in charge of the universe, and that there isn't one thing that will ever happen on this planet to me that doesn't go through his permission first. And if it goes through his permission, I promise you that he has given me the strength to go through it. That's harder to feel than it is to know. Our feelings and our emotions don't always go with that because our feelings and emotions can get deteriorated by the things around us, by what we view, by what we see on a constant basis. We need to be in God's word enough to know who God is because Blessed are the peacemakers. Edmund goes on to say, Having ourselves found peace with God, we are then to be peacemakers and therefore partakers of this beatitude stated by our Lord. To be a peacemaker will require effort and endeavor on our part, strength and convictions and sturdiness of character, and above all, much self-denial. Peace is not some sunlit, flower-strewn pathway of indolence and indifference, carelessness, or unconcern. On the contrary, it's an uphill climb, often beset by dangers and distress, 
much like the hill of difficulty which Bunyan's pilgrim climbed to find the palace beautiful at its summit. In Psalm 133.1 it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In 1 Thessalonians 5.13, often the word we are exhorted to be at peace among ourselves, to be of one mind, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.11. Edmund goes on to say the scriptures are very realistic. However, in granting that this is not always possible, if it be possible, as much as lieth with you, live peaceably with all men, says the apostle. It is granted that some people are innately so quarrelsome and cantankerous that no one could live peaceably with them for any protracted period of time. However, we can at least make the effort to live peaceably with all, whether they be considered or quarrelsome, gracious or grouchy. We are taught to seek peace and pursue it, Psalm 34:14. And this truth Peter reemphasizes, 1 Peter 3:11. We are told to follow after peace with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, 2 Timothy 2:22 and Hebrews 12:12 12, 12 to 14. Thus it is the peacemakers, by endeavor and energy, by carefulness and prayerfulness, by principles and in courageous practice, make peace by seeking it, pursuing it, and following hard after it. Peacemakers cannot drift with the tide in the illusion that there is peace at any price. Peacemakers must applaud what's right, even though it's unpopular at the moment and not be silent to wrong, however deeply entrenched it may be. Peacemakers are not pale pacifists who blind their eyes to iniquity and injustice while piously predicting that all will be well, like the proverbial Pollyanna. Peacemaking will require stern discipline of self, and when necessary, kind and firm correction of troublesome situations. I think I should read that again. Peacemaking will require stern discipline of self, and when necessary, kind and firm correction of troublesome situations. We need to beware lest we ourselves are the desire to be diligent in maintaining the right, be makers of trouble instead of peace. It is an honor, declares the proverb, for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling or be quarrelsome. Proverbs 23. He that covers a transgression seeketh love and adds word, but he that repeateth the matter separates very friends. Proverbs 17.9 Solomon adds further, Where no wood is, the fire goeth out, and where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals, the wood to the fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Proverbs 26, 20-22 The peacemaker has the strength of character to overlook a wrong to himself, 
to pass over transgression, to be silent, even though sorely smitten with confidence that there is an eye that has seen the desire for peace. When one's fellow is distinctly in the wrong, then the peacemaker will seek to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Galatians 6, one. The peacemaker follows carefully and prayerfully this instruction given by the Lord. It's found in Matthew 18.15 where it says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear, thou hast gained thy brother. Thus to have kept a grievous matter between two Christians and have it all settled by contrition and forgiveness is to seek peace and spiritual prosperity of the church. The standard for the peacemaker among people of God and the objective for which he will strive and sacrifice are stated plainly in the word. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. The true peacemaker is often himself in right, but he is willing to forgo his prerogative in order that peace may be achieved. Abraham once declared, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we are brethren. His was the heart of a true peacemaker. When the Philistines insisted upon striving with Isaac's servants for the wells which the latter had dug, Isaac was willing to move onward. From the well Esek, meaning strife or contention, they moved onward to dig another, but because there was contention there also, they called the well sitna, or hatred. There were other sources of water to be achieved, and the Almighty led his servant to dig another well, for which there is no strife. It was named Reboath, or enlargement, Genesis twenty-six seventeen to 22 How contentious Christians can become for what they believe, and rightly so, to be their proper place and prerogative. With strife and contention, they may gain their desires, but they are then strangers to deep inner blessedness of the peacemaker. Much should we prefer the cold, satisfying water to the bitter wells of Esek and Sitna. There are occasional circumstances, however, where the unjust and so unnecessary seems must take the situation into our own hands. This was David's reaction against the scurrilous reply from the ungracious and ungrateful Nabal. Gird ye on every man his sword, ordered David. And off he went to the head of the wild band to avenge himself on the sheep herder at Mount Carmel. But there was a peacemaker in a person called Abigail, Nabal's wife. She came with an apology and provisions which David and his men badly needed. She also offered good counsel as one who speaks and seeks peace. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, she said. A peacemaker has a proper perspective of men's stature and can help us avoid becoming vexed 
and picayune with people. Furthermore, the true peacemaker reminds that there will be an afterwards, when the heat and passion of the moment have passed and we come to our senses and to better judgment, then we too, like David, will be glad that we did not avenge ourselves and that we can say with him, Blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hands. 1 Samuel 25, 32, and 33. Well, the blessing given to others by peacemakers and the blessing experienced in their own hearts are succinctly summarized in the earnest little benediction which the Apostle Paul appealed to his second letter in the church of Thessalonica. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Let me read that again. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. Comes from the Lord, 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Once again, I was reading from the book, The Delights of Life, written by V. Raymond Edmond. It was chapter 12. If you have the book, it started on page 113. One of my favorite authors who is with the Lord as we speak. Thanks for taking time to listen to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host here at the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Good night for now.